0: Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Molly Cooper, who is a risk manager at Cooper Insurance here locally in Indiana. So this is a fun interview because I've known Molly for a long time. We get to record it in person. We're going to talk about insurance, which is maybe not always the most fun topic, but I think it's really important for people to understand. So Molly, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So let's make insurance interesting, right? So First and foremost, when I talk to veterinarians, one of the things that we'll chat through in kind of a second meeting is we'll say, hey, what about property and casualty insurance? What do you do for that? And I'll get some blank stares like, what's property and casualty insurance? (laughs) So for those listening, let's explain what is property and casualty insurance? Like, what does that cover?
1: Okay. So property and casualty is – half of that is easy to understand. Property is – Pretty much anything tangible. And the easiest way that I can liken it to just the general population is you have a home or you have a car, right? Those are tangible things. So in property insurance, your property might be your building or it might be the medical equipment in your building or it might be any mobile equipment if you had service large animals on the road or something like that.
0: Perfect. So the casualty side, so we have the property and then the casualty side would be.
1: Casualty is another word for liability, basically. And liability to me is the bigger exposure that most businesses have. Because I think one of the hardest things is learning to identify where is your exposure? Where is the most risk for you? And I think that's an important conversation to have with somebody like yourself, somebody like me. When you're working to establish a business, it's important to Think along those lines when you're hiring people. It's important to think along those lines when you're planning the future for your business. I think it's a really important question.
0: We'll come back and I do want to chat on the professional side because everyone that listens to the podcast knows hey, I'm a really big advocate for practice ownership and having some sort of entrepreneurial economic ownership in the business. But on the personal side, when you think about liability, you also think that that's the bigger exposure, both professionally and personally? Absolutely. So when you think about liability personally, What are some of the things that are that exposure? And then how do you, I guess, rectify that or protect yourself from those issues?
1: Okay. So personally, I think the biggest exposure that most people have would probably be their auto liability. You go and get in the car and you drive your hunk of metal 70 miles an hour, at least in Indiana, you're going to drive it 20 miles or someplace (laughs) to get where you're going. That is a really large exposure personal liability would be things maybe you didn't shovel the snow off the sidewalk you were on vacation or something and somebody comes along and slips and falls on the driveway or the dog bites the neighbor's kid or something along those lines that that would be considered a liability exposure it's basically your negligence and if you want to think of it as what are the ways somebody can sue you what can somebody sue you for that's what we're talking about when we say the word liability and i think the Best way to talk about those things in personal lines. Everybody has auto insurance. If you have a car, the state law requires (laughs) you to have auto insurance. You can talk about the limits on auto insurance. If you have a home, you probably have some kind of insurance because the mortgage company requires it.
0: And you should even if it's paid off, right? (laughs) A little expensive to build a new house, especially right now.
1: (laughs) Yep. Oh, my gosh. Right now, it's crazy. But the mortgage company requires it, the landlord requires it, somebody is going to require you to have insurance. The thing that is pretty powerful that a lot of people don't know about is personal umbrella insurance. And it's usually something that can be bought in increments of a million dollars. And when people do hear the word umbrella, they think it covers a wider breadth of things okay, so my golf cart isn't licensed for road use. It's not quite a car, but it's not at my home. Maybe that's picked up by my umbrella. And it is not. Umbrella just gives higher limits to the liability that you already have.
0: So umbrella is an important thing that I wanted to get to. And anytime that someone sees, hey, you're a doctor, something happened. Yeah. you know, I trip and fell in front of your house, heard they're a doctor. They must be loaded. Now, if you're a veterinarian and you're in the car right now, you might be chuckling like, hey, I'm definitely not loaded, but I do have the doctor in front of me. <laughs> I have the DVM after my name. It's important, but the umbrella protects from someone coming after you. There's a good story, an example within uh, a client of ours that they had friends over and there was a surgeon that like cut their hand on a wine glass and somehow it turned out into a big lawsuit and it was an issue. Umbrella insurance kind of from my understanding protects against that. Can you expand a little bit about what umbrella really covers and, and protects against?
1: yeah and I just want to be specific you're talking about personal umbrella
0: correct yeah we're going to talk about yeah thank you (laughs)
1: So I want to make sure that we know there's a difference between personal and commercial umbrella. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you said, you know, the surgeon cuts his hand and the homeowner's liability is probably 300000 or 500000 And the surgeon's not only going to have surgeries and lost wages, but there's probably going to be future pain and suffering. And even though this is your best friend who's over here for dinner, that's not the person who determines it. It gets turned into the insurance company and then the insurance company's lawyers are the ones who are going to court about it. It doesn't even hardly involve you at this point. It probably won't be settled for another seven years or something. So by the time you get it and turn it in and I'm sorry about that, (laughs) you know, it's going to be long forgotten and you're probably going to have several more meals in by the time the insurance even gets paid.
0: Absolutely. So anything else umbrella insurance wise, it's important on the personal side just to help people understand it. Because I think you talked about Hey, it's a million dollars. And that seems like, oh my gosh, it must cost a fortune. I think that's a good example of explaining like pound for pound umbrella insurance and the CFP board like pounds it into you as a, an advisor that it's one of the best things that you can do as far as protection for the cost. I know you can't be like, hey, it's exactly this amount, but <laughs> rough estimates for folks.
1: Rough estimates. It's rated on how many opportunities an insurance company has to get sued. So for you and your wife... Right now, you have two cars and one house, right? And That is a pretty standard thing. I think your premium is probably 150, 180 bucks a year. I mean, I'm something like that. I think it's,
0: yeah, it might be two something, but it's like, yeah, it's very inexpensive. When yeah. you hear a million dollars, you're like, oh, that seems like a lot. Like, right. that's probably going to cost a lot. Right.
1: Now, if you have seven cars and teenage drivers in all of them and the lake house and the Florida house and a helicopter driving (laughs) around or something like (laughs) you've got a little more exposure there and that's going to, but compared to the value of all those things, it's still going to (laughs) be considerably.
0: It's all relative to the amount of exposure that Mm -hmm, they have. Exactly. From home and auto and thinking about property and casualty, how are those priced? Like how do insurance companies look at, you know, this is what my, auto insurance costs, or this is my home costs?
1: Your home is a pretty simple one. I think the biggest piece of it is home insurance is rated off of reconstruction cost, which we kind of laughed about a minute ago. It's probably different now than it was a year ago, even. That's a part of it. And then how far are you from a fire hydrant? How far are you from a fire station? Those are questions that they'll ask when they look at it as well. And then part of it is actually rated on, it's not a hard pull on your credit, but they use your credit to determine an insurance score. Interesting. Yeah. And an insurance score looks at several things. It will look at your credit because they have found that there is some commonality between people that don't pay their bills and people that have claims. But they'll also look at your claims history. They'll look at the claims history for the location. Are you living in a house where the basement's flooded? Every year for the last 10 years, those are the things that kind of go into the homeowners. When was the roof last replaced? And do you have a bunch of big trees sitting around that in the next windstorm, they're all going yeah. <laughs> to land on the roof? They'll look at things like that too. And auto is usually just a very experiential thing. They look at your driving history and how far are you driving? How aggressively are you driving? Do you have tickets? Those kinds of things.
0: And then with the home insurance, I know when we've talked personally, it was kind of like this idea of, there's coverage for like the structure itself, and there's the stuff inside of it where you use the analogy of like if you turn your house upside down and you shake it, <laughs> that's something. Can you talk about that too? Because yeah, that's yeah. a good.
1: That is your contents or your personal property, gotcha, gotcha. and the thing that's funny about that is on a homeowners, the state of Indiana requires that a homeowner's policy, if you insure your home for five hundred thousand, state of Indiana requires you to have fifty percent of that value in personal property. So they're going to automatically include 250000 Some companies sweeten the pot, maybe they'll give you 70%. Maybe they'll give you 75%, 80%. Some of them, I've seen them do 100%. But that's sometimes, depending on the house, Like the contents can even vary a little bit. If you're in an older home, and you have carpet laid on top of the beautiful wood floor, first of all, take the carpet off and fix your wood floor. Totally. We agree but- <laughs> on that.
0: Carpet's disgusting.
1: <laughs> but carpet is considered a content. At that point, it's not considered part of the house. So it's settled a little bit differently when there's a claim in there. But the other thing that's important to know, too, and I think we've talked about this, is that all classes of property in your home, there's a handful of them that have limitations built into the policy. And this isn't just your insurance company. This is all insurance company. And those are usually jewelry, firearms, fine arts precious metals, cash, things like that. So there's usually a very finite amount of coverage built in to a policy. So if you have items like that, it's really important to make sure that your advisor knows that so that they can talk to you about scheduling those items and getting a little bit of special coverage for them.
0: Absolutely. So home and auto, Mm -hmm. mistakes that you see when you look at someone's policy. Let's say they say, hey, Molly, I want to maybe work with you or can you review this? What do you typically look at and then say, "Mm, that... I might tweak that or this seems to be a mistake or just things to be aware of as a consumer.
1: First thing I always check is the replacement cost. I want to make sure that that is accurate for where it needs to be. The industry standard for a long time was, oh, you can rebuild for $100 a foot. Then, you know, it was $125 a foot. If you looked at it right now, it's probably $300 a foot, honestly. But I think it's important to make sure that you're kind of mitigating your risk by keeping on top of the reality of what it costs to rebuild a home. This is not the market value of the home. It is the value, to, uh, the cost to reconstruct the home if the tornado blows it down or the fire burns it down or whatever. The next thing is the way to save money is not to cut your liability or to skimp on coverage. It's to increase your deductible and take a little bit more of that risk on yourself. Think about your auto insurance. Do you have a $500 deductible? Are you really going to turn in a $500 claim? Because for me, that's like a scratch that's four inches long, you know what I mean? If you're not gonna turn in a claim that's under a thousand dollars, then why spend the money on the insurance for it? I would say bump the deductibles as high as you're comfortable going. On the home it can usually be a little more. Thousand bucks on my house is not even a storm door blowing off in the windstorm or something.
0: So And then on auto, I know Tim Eline and our team always chats around and talks about like the medical piece of making sure that it's like either 5,000 or 10,000. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about what that does, what that is? Yeah. I think that's another important kind of topic when yeah. you look at auto and, insurance.
1: And MedPay actually is on your home as well. Okay. But specifically for the auto, what it does is it can pay for the injuries sustained by people in your vehicle if you are at fault. does not cover the driver, but it covers passenger people in the backseat. It could be the wife, like you have a husband and wife driving in the car. I actually had this happen where they got T-boned and she was all banged up and had to get some physical therapy and all of this stuff. And you can't sue yourself. It's not going into a liability claim, (laughs) but they were able to get a little bit of money for the physical therapy that she had to endure for that. The thing is that if you have, I had a different claim that I dealt with where we had a young man in his upper teens. I don't know if he was 21 yet or not. I think he was, but not all the passengers in the car were. And there were, I believe, six people in the car. Still a little fuzzy on exactly what happened, but there was a single car accident. And one of the guys who was in the car had some kind of damage to his shoulder and wound up, basically, he was going to be a pitcher. He was in college and on scholarships and getting some financial help for his education because of his pitching arm and he basically lost his ability to do that and the med pay if it was a less severe injury would go towards the girl who maybe banged her head got the ride to the ambulance or something mm-hmm. like that obviously with whatever was wrong you know torn rotator cuff or whatever it was that's going to exceed your five thousand dollars of med pay pretty quick but then it goes into your liability
0: got it okay perfect we're going to come back and talk a little bit about business stuff, but I want to break it up real quick because one thing that I'll see on my side is when you look at the offerings of different insurance companies and there's big names that go on TV and spend tons of money, mm-hmm. I think it's important to understand the idea between independent and captive insurance agents. Mm-hmm. Can you talk like, what's the difference between the two?
1: Yeah. And I am an independent agent. And so my experience has been filtered through that. Totally. But- I think there's a lot of strength to be had there. You do hear these big names and a lot of the most well-known companies are captive places. But I think that gets a little bit limiting. You know, if you get to the end of your policy term and you want to see different prices or things like that, your only option is to cut coverage or change your deductible or something like that. I think the strength of an independent agent is that we have four companies that we work with for personal lines and we have more than that that we work with for commercial and And we have the ability to go to brokers for things that are maybe harder to place. Like maybe you have an entire business, but you've had a couple slip and falls, or your whole business profile looks good, but you've had a couple auto accidents. We can place them with different companies and you still only have one phone number to know and one person to contact if you have a change or you have a question or something like that. And I think that's a pretty powerful.
0: I totally agree. The reason I ask the question is I think it's absolutely important. And I look at it the same way from like what I do for a living, right? like financial advisors. If you're captive where, hey, you really push certain products. This is how the company makes money. This is where the encouragement is. This is where the dollars go. Is very different than saying, hey, we get paid to go out and find the best deal. Mm-hmm. We give advice and guidance around your insurance needs. We're going to go put it with whoever's best. We've already pre-vetted certain insurance carriers to say these are good places, they're all great. We're going to see where's the best spot. And yeah, again, at the end of the day, no one's doing this for charity. You make money, obviously, when you sell insurance, that's what you do. That's a great thing. And I think it's really important to tell listeners and think about if you don't work with someone that's an independent agent, ask why. And certainly rethink that. Not that there's not bad people that are independent and not great people that are captive. That's not saying that. It's just think that all else being equal, Definitely look for someone that can give you more options because more options are usually better than less, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, and a lot of things in life. So super important. So thank you for that. So let's talk about business insurance. I want to come back to one thing you said earlier, commercial umbrella. What the Mm -hmm. heck is that?
1: (laughs) Well, it is similar to personal umbrella in that it doesn't cover any more things than what your basic policies already cover, but it extends the limit of those things. again, in increments of a million dollars. Now, some of the tricky part of commercial umbrella for personal lines, home auto umbrella, that's pretty much done and zipped up. Commercial umbrella can be a little bit tricky because a lot of times a commercial umbrella won't pick up some of the coverages that lie outside of the normal, I'm going to use the word box, right? If it fits in a box, You might have a business owner's policy, you might have workers' comp, you might have a couple cars, and an umbrella will likely go over those kind of standard coverages. But I think one of the biggest questions is, are those your biggest exposure? If you own a company where your employees are washing windows on skyscrapers 80 stories in the air, you probably want really good umbrella over your workers' comp, right? Totally. For a veterinarian, your biggest exposure is probably malpractice. And there's a lot of times where umbrella won't pick up a malpractice policy. If you're an IT company, your biggest exposure might be cyber. And there's a lot of times where an umbrella won't pick up cyber because it just gets those main few exposures that I mentioned a moment ago. And I think commercial umbrella is exceptionally important to talk about making sure it goes over where your biggest exposure lies.
0: Absolutely. So again, going back, talking to veterinarians as an owner, when you think about kind of the business insurance that you mentioned a handful there, can you kind of list things that they should think about and maybe why that's important? And then we'll unpack a couple or all of them or whatever. (laughs) I guess we find interesting or things are like, yeah, we should talk about that.
1: Yeah. Kind of the basics are general liability, which is found on a business owner's policy or commercial package. That's what I would call your slip and fall type coverage. Somebody's on the premises and maybe it's not a client bringing a patient in, maybe somebody's there doing a repair or something like that, and they trip and fall on something. And because you were negligent about moving it, you've got a slip and fall exposure right there. Employer's liability, that's picked up under your workers' compensation. If you have employees, you are required to have workers' comp. Also, dogs bite. I have three. They bite sometimes. It happens. Probably want to make sure that you can continue to work (laughs) if something like that happened. And I would imagine they have to get shots and make sure that they have certain requirements before coming back. But uh, totally. And then auto, auto is just like personal auto, where if you have a car on the road or something like that, the commercial umbrella would pick that up. One coverage that is available on commercial auto that I think is important to talk about is hired a non-owned auto. If you have employees that are on the road on company business, maybe your receptionist goes to the bank to make deposits or something like that or goes to the post office to get the mail or something, you have somebody on the road on company business that could wind up in the business insurance lab if there was a bad enough at fault accident. And in fact, the two largest claims our office has ever had have been hired a non-owned auto. And that's something that's usually picked up under the commercial umbrella as well. But professional or malpractice in this case, it depends on who your carrier is. It depends where your professional is. And, you know, if it's through an association, a lot of times it's not going to be included on a commercial umbrella.
0: Yep. And then same thing if you're owner, you own the real estate, obviously you want to have coverage on that. Mm-hmm. Anything specific there, someone to kind of the home to the person, practice building, hospital building.
1: I think one of the biggest distinctions I could make is to make sure that contents, right? You have a building, you dump everything out. Contents, by definition, are things that stay on premises. So if you do relief work and take anything with you, or if you are mobile and work with larger animals or something like that, and you actually go to the patient, if you have several thousand dollars of equipment that's on your truck or in your trailer or something like that, then those things have to be insured specifically. And
0: that's a great point. Yeah, Yeah, we I think we just chatted on with somebody that's a client about getting some insurance on a ultrasound that Mm -hmm. they had just purchased. So yeah, that's a good point. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's a a good point. What haven't I asked about that you think is really important in the frame of thinking about insurance as a professional? Again, we're going to kind of tailor this to veterinarians. I'm sure there's tons of fun things we could chat on (laughs) random insurance stuff, but.
1: I think it's just really important to know where your exposure lies and that the landscape for that changes a lot More frequently than you might think. Slip and falls, that's probably not going to change anytime soon. Uh, Though last year, the exposure for slip and fall was considerably less because nobody went anywhere. That that is true. Good Um, point. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's important to know okay, like the cyber risk was significantly higher last year than it ever has been before. Another area that we're seeing pick up a little bit more activity is called employment practices insurance. And I think. Basically, what that is is coverage. If there's a suit brought against a business owner with allegations of discrimination or harassment or something like that, it doesn't mean it happened, but the suit's there anyway. Wrongful termination. It doesn't matter if it's real or not. It was real. Perception is reality, right? Like it was totally. real to the person yeah. who's bringing it up. So it's there and it exists. And I think there's employment practices liability, there's employee benefits liability. So if you offer a health plan or a 401k or something like that to employees, knowing that there's an exposure there. Like what if somebody comes and says, oh, I need to add my kid to this plan and you forget and don't add it. And then the kid has a big claim. You know, there's an exposure there for that as well. So the management liability is one of the places where we're seeing a lot more activity now. And I would put your malpractice under that. I'd put your cyber under that. I'd put employee practices under that. And I think those are things to take a good hard look at.
0: Totally. As we kind of wrap up those that listen to the podcast know this. I don't think I shared before we hit record on this one. So this is going to catch you completely cold. You know me a little bit. So this hopefully is easier with the podcast. I swipe the idea of always asking guests. So they can ask me any question that they want open anything you want to know, <laughs> fully ask. And maybe this will be even better for listeners since you do kind of know me personally as well. Anything you want to know, you can fire it away. It does not have to be related to insurance at all. <laughs> This could be very dangerous.
1: Oh, man. So I do know you a little bit, and I have heard one or two stories about this, but I want to know the like craziest, wildest thing you've ever done on a vehicle or with a vehicle.
0: Ooh. Because
1: <laughs> so, I'm your insurance agent. Yeah. You know. So
0: I used to ride motorcycles. So the first motorcycle I ever bought, I think I was 19 when I commuted back and forth to school. And then I ended up selling that right after I graduated just cuz i needed funds and it was like okay this is a smarter decision to do that i then repurchased a motorcycle again cuz i lived with two guys back in my hometown that also had motorcycles and so we would used to take an annual trip down to an area near the great smoky mountains called the dragon's tail which is i think it's 311 curves in 9 or 10 miles it's amazing Dang. like we'd always typically would have accidents and stuff down there someone would right like you would see some gnarly stuff and some people that are really like professional like from around the world that would come and go extremely fast I was never that good. I was not like dragging my knee around corners like other people. But yeah, I would say definitely involving motorcycles and riding down there would probably be some of the most interesting things. But the story that I guess sticks in my head is the fastest I've ever been in a vehicle was 145 miles an hour on my motorcycle and I got passed by my buddy.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Like I think he said he was going 180 miles an hour at the time. So yes, like very stupid. Way back prior to (laughs) My wife, meet my wife, Emily, having kids, like all this stuff, right? Like this is years ago. So those would be probably the moments of the, probably not the wisest decision making, but certainly memories that I have. Yep. So that's good. No one's ever asked me that's a great <laughs> question. I love that. And aside of me that I've not shared on this. So thank you for coming and kind of talking a little bit about insurance and thinking through some of these things. My biggest encouragement would be a review your stuff. Don't just be like, yep, same as always. Don't review it. Make sure you're reviewing it. Look for an independent agent. I think that's helpful. Molly, you work all over the country, Mm -hmm. right? So if people wanted to connect or reach out to you and just chat through things, how would they connect with you? Where would you send them? How does all that kind of work for you?
1: An email would probably be the best way to go. And do you want me to say my email? Yeah,
0: we can link to it in the show notes too. (laughs) But yeah, you can totally say it.
1: Yeah, it's Molly with a Y, M-O-L-L-Y at cooperindiana.com. And that's all spelled out. Send me a quick email. It doesn't have to be your life story or anything, but we'll set a time to have a conversation because I think it's really important that I can't do my job well unless I understand how someone else's business works, right? And that's what I love about my job is understand. Like I love talking to business owners, and you know maybe you're really happy with some of your coverage, but you're having a hard time with just one piece of it, and that's something that we can help with. We are risk managers. That's what we do.
0: Totally appreciate that. And I'll link to other info if there's anything else that's good, but we'll make sure that's in the show notes. Thank you thank for you. coming on and talking about insurance and making it interesting. And, oh, did uh, I? You did make it interesting. <laughs> we did a success, right? Like, We'll have to see. We'll have to see the feedback, right? But no, thank you so much, Molly. This was a blast. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should now be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice.